I live in Israel. This season is dedicated to the memory of the 1,400 of my countrymen who were massacred on October 7th, and the 240 people that were kidnapped and are being held hostage by the terrorist organization Hamas. Hopefully they will be returned to their families as soon as possible, and hopefully this terrible war will be able to come to a peaceful end very soon. Welcome to Minute 46 of Season 6 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we take a Capra-esque journey through the 1946 classic, It's a Wonderful Life, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me this week, I, I actually have a great guest this entire week, uh, someone who's going to be able to probably teach me a lot about this movie also. We'll have to wait. We'll, we'll wait and see during the week how that works. But uh, my guest this week is uh, Scott Myers, who is an associate professor of screenwriting at DePaul University in chicago welcome to the show scott great to be here uh this is one of my favorite movies so i'm very excited to talk about it well that's why i invited you because i knew i i I found i found an article that you wrote about it so i was like hey this is a person that i want to have on my show so i'm I'm very glad that you were able to make the time to to join join me here and i am sure that i'm going to enjoy this week and uh that everyone who's listening will also enjoy this week so I, I appreciate you taking the time to to talk to us about this movie. Great. Uh, let's get into it. Yeah. So minute 46 begins with uh, George having a query and ends with uh, Mrs. Hatch starting uh, a little bit of trouble. So we, we ended things on Friday with George showing up. I mean, he was he's at the Hatch house and he's sitting there with Mary and or he's standing there with Mary and they're they're looking at. The picture, we have the, the needle point of George lassoing the moon. And basically, George started walking over to it. And as he was walking over to it, the, the minute cut off. So today, we basically start off with that uh, point. So George is there, and he's looking at the the needle point. And his first reaction is, what's that? <laughs> you know. Well, I... Uh... <laughs> yeah, speaking of, like looking at it from like a screenwriter's perspective, this scene is so critical because it uh, absolutely moves the plot in a fundamentally different direction. It's like that's the point of the scene as far as the screenwriters are concerned, the filmmakers. I should mention the screenwriters are Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett, and then uh, Frank Capra. But they've got to get and uh, Joe, 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 was it Joe Sterling? Swirling. Joe Swirling, Swirling, Swirling. Swirling. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, they got to get the couple together, but at the beginning of the scene, they are in completely divergent emotional states of being where she's excited to see him and he's not at all. Right. I mean, but, but I would say on the one hand, he's not necessarily excited to see her, but he still went over there. Meaning that, that he does have some desire to see Mary, maybe not on the same level that she has a desire to see him, but yeah, I don't think he's just, you know, trying to placate his mother. Who says that he should go over there? It, it, there's more to yeah, it. Well, that gets in. That gets into this interesting dynamic about what do you want and what do you need. And of course, what do you want is actually like a question that comes up in this conversation. Correct. Um, but what does he need? 
and that's this thing that's inside him. You know, he wants to escape Bedford Falls. He wants to go see the world. He wants to build skyscrapers and bridges. But what does he need? And he needs community and home. And an anchor. And a, and a place and an anchor. And that's what we see here. The want is like, I don't want to necessarily be here, but the need is drawing him through this scene and why it ends up the way that it does. Right. That's very true. I mean, that, that's basically the way the whole movie is. You know, the, the only of the want and the need. George wants to get out of Bedford Falls from the minute this movie begins till the minute it ends. Or, sorry, until five minutes before it ends. But, but uh, you know, he, he also realizes on some level that he still does need it, even though his wants. I mean, I, I think that's a great way of putting it. To, you know, the, the uh, conflict that George has between his wants and his needs. So... Yeah. Yeah. And it's that's one of the most impressive things about the story. You know, typically from uh, again, from a screenwriting perspective, they talk about a an active protagonist, a proactive protagonist where they've got a specific goal. and They're going for it. But in it's a wonderful life. He's really more reactive the entire time. He's never leaves. <laughs> he never leaves. Right. He just talks about leaving, except for, <laughs> you know. With, yeah, he talks about it. He reacts over and over and over again to things that happen. And so it just proves that this whole sort of idea that uh, there are these formulas that work, uh, well, it breaks the rules, you know, uh, in, in that do, regard. Do you think even back and, then it uh, was breaking the rules? Doesn't, or only looking back? Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I'd say just generally speaking. I mean, if you if you were to float around the online screenwriting universe, this is like a big deal. Like the protagonist has to have a goal and go for it, you know, and they're proactive. Um, and, 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 and this movie is completely the opposite of that. He's reactive the whole right. time, but it works. Right. I, I remember hearing once, uh, that Billy Wilder said about, I think Apollo 13, that one of the best things about the script of Apollo 13 is, is that, you know, it's someone who is trying to fulfill their dream and they don't fulfill their dream, but the story still is amazing. You know, you don't feel that that loss. There's yeah. still something going on. So I, I guess this fits in the same type of category, you know, where on the one hand, there's certain things that, that you want to see, but they give you something else. But it's still uh, as satisfactory, if not even more, because of the way that it's presented. Well, I think that, yeah, I would think that there's a universal point of appeal here. Everybody in our lives feels beset upon you know things come at us we have to react you know over and over and over again throughout our existence and so there's a way that we have we can kind of identify with with uh, george bailey the, the the this having this flow of stuff coming at us and we have to deal with it and uh of course he eventually realizes that this is where he's supposed to right, be right but he he's, he's not there yet <laughs> it takes a while <laughs> no, <laughs> no. That's right. It takes scene. no. Not there. That's why this scene right. is so important. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, he's just like, and and one of the things I love about this th this scene is that George is there, but he's he's still confused as to why he's really there. You know, he's he's walking around the room, right. looking around, you know, st uh, staring at things that are going on. He, he, you know, putting his hands in his pockets. All these different things that he 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 doesn't feel that comfortable there. He's trying to to find a way to to feel more comfortable in this room, 
you know, maybe maybe it's on a, on a yes. subconscious level he knows that he wants to be there, but he just doesn't know how to be comfortable in this particular place. Yeah, again, I think that maybe that want need thing is helpful. I mean, he he doesn't really want to be there, but I think there's an inner pull. I mean, he's attracted to Mary. You know, we've already established that from very early on. This is the third beat in the Mary George. Well, he, the first one he did. The first one when he was in the drugstore, he he wasn't very receptive. You know, he, he was, didn't even hear. He, no, well, obviously he didn't hear what she had to say because she was talking in his deaf ear. But you know, like when when she tells him she doesn't want any coconut, and then he puts tons of coconut on her ice cream. You know, he just doesn't care. He calls That's it brainless. Right. <laughs> That's right. Brainless. Yeah. And then the second one is, of course, the night of the right. dance and all that, you know, so that's where the romance. Correct, but it's been four years so since then. You know, you'd think that you would have been home at some yep. point over the last four years, that something would have happened. You know, it's like I we talked a little bit about this last week, you know, the fact that or maybe it was even two weeks ago where his mother says, well, Mary's home. And he's like, so, <laughs> you know, like, why are you mentioning this? It's yeah. You know, I, I think part of the, the the because it's jumped four years, they haven't really they, they never have to to fill in what happened over those course of those four years uh, between George and Mary showing up in town. You know, obviously we know that George George worked yeah, in you know the building alone. That's what he did for four years while Harry was away becoming a college uh, football hero. You know, but we she does mention that she she worked in New York for a while or was visiting. You know, she had some sort of thing right going during on during City vacations. I think she said that she was there or whatever. Even though we know now yeah. this is also a vacation. I mean, yeah. the reason that Harry came home and introduced them to Ruth, it was you know it's the end of the the school year. You know, he just graduated and now he yeah. wants you know here we are in the summer. And, you know, Harry is supposed to be taking over the business, but we, we just found out, you know, that he, he's not. And George, George had to make that uh, decision that, okay, he's going to let Harry continue with his dream and he's going to put his on hold again. Well, and that leads to that great interchange where Mary's trying to break the ice with George as they're sitting in the, in the parlor there. And she says, nice about your brother, Harry and Ruth, isn't it? And George, like, very unenthusiastic. Oh, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> Don't you like her? And George says, well, of course I like her. She's right. a peach. Oh, just marriage in general. You're not enthusiastic. Which, which again, he's, and he says, well, no he's marriage jumping into, like, you know, he's reading into something that, that she she might be referring to it, but she's not saying it. You know, like, where's marriage? Why why has marriage even come up between the two of them if he's they're just talking about, you know, the fact that, that – you know Harry and Ruth are, are there, but but you jumped ahead a little bit. Let let's just uh, go go back a little bit. Um, okay. No, it's okay. Sure. Uh, so you know as they're sitting around in this in this parlor, so George then goes and uh, you know as he's looking at this this needlepoint, he goes uh, some joke, huh? You know he sits down on the couch and he says something really strange. He says, "I see it still smells like pine needles around here." Okay, <laughs> and yeah. you know. I, my interpretation of that is, is he's basically he's referring to maybe you know a Christmas tree. Do you think that's what he's maybe referring to? Maybe, or just that he's been he's been there before at some point. I mean, no, but it still yeah. smells like he's <laughs> saying it Christmas still tree. smells like pine needles. That's that's the thing that 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 gets me. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, and then she exactly. says, "Thank you." <laughs> that is definitely not the worst part. Now, I, I don't know if you have it open in front of you. The this this scene. But when George sits down, if you look behind him, there's a picture on the wall that looks so much like Peter Bailey. 
And I went back and I tried comparing it to, you know, the picture of Peter Bailey in minute 31 right after he, he dies. Yeah. And I'm saying to myself, why the hell does Mary have a picture of Peter Bailey in her house? Huh. I mean, wow, I I, I don't remember yeah, that. It's, uh, you can you can and in this in this minute, it's actually the the picture has like a light shining on it, so it looks slightly different. But the the posh, the the way that the pose is is exactly the same. It could be Mister Hatch. I mean, we never find out. Uh, we we never know anything about Mister Hatch. The one thing we do know is, is when George showed up last week, you know, on the mailbox, it said Mrs. Hatch, which means that there apparently is no Mr. Hatch yes. at this point. Um, otherwise, it would have just said either Hatch or yeah. the Hatch family or something like that. Well, I wonder, even if it's even if it's an image of uh, Mr. Hatch, like he looks, he may That's resemble right. Peter Bailey. It might be interesting that you've got this father figure kind of looming down over That's right. George. That's right. You know. Right. That moment. right. It, it probably was just a mistake, you know, that one of the production crew just said, oh, we need a picture on the wall. And they say, hey, we got one. And they just put it up there and said, no one was ever going to notice that uh, we're just putting a picture of Peter Bailey there. You know, <laughs> nobody's going to be nobody's going to be going through this movie minute by minute, 77 years from now. Ah, come on. You know, we've, I've, I found that, you know, in, in many <laughs> movies by minute uh, podcasts, mine also over the last uh, you know few seasons, we found things that are probably you know, just there by accident because, you know, nobody really expected at the time that someone was going to be doing what we do. <laughs> so who knows? It, it makes it very fun. Yeah. It's like, that, that's the way it works. <laughs> and then we, we can hear the, the, the music in the background. You know, she, she put the, the song Buffalo Gals on again. Yeah. Uh, which, which is, it's, it's funny that that's the theme song that, you know, that, that they were singing when they were on their way home. And that's how she, she remembers George because of that night. You know, it's always going to be Buffalo gals for them. Oh yeah. And he sort of waves that's it off right. when he walks in, right? He hears yeah. the song. That again. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That again. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I, maybe, maybe she, I think she's doing it in order to, you know, maybe she felt very romantic on that night. And maybe she's trying to instill in him some sort of romantic romantic feeling at the same time, but he he just he's just not receptive oh, at all. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing at all. No, it's, it's like from a screenwriting standpoint, it's great because you got two characters coming from two different places. She's excited. She's like primping her hair. That's right. She invites him in. She, she, you know, this is a big thing for her. She's excited to see him, and he's not terribly excited to see him uh and so you've got the basis of conflict and as i say you can't have drama without conflict and so the scene is set right. up for that to happen right. and then uh you know <laughs> then basically uh she she says to him uh, what's the matter and he goes oh yeah yeah well and then she she decides at that point she shouldn't change the subject and then we get to what you were talking about earlier where she says to him nice about your brother harry and ruth isn't it Oh yeah, yeah, that's all right. And he says, "Don't you like her?" I mean, come on, he just met her a few hours ago. It's, it's, it's. Isn't it pretty early for her to already expect him to have an opinion uh, besides a very first impression of her? Yeah, it's a little. Quick. I, I just met her three hours ago. <laughs> yeah, and I've had a lot to drink since. So who knows? You know. And then, and then yeah. he responds, as you mentioned earlier. Well, of course I like her. She's a peach. So I, I mean. 
for me, I, obviously, I've seen this movie dozens of times, so I've heard this phrase so many, so many times in the past. But, but like, do you know what the actual uh, interpretation of the term, you know, that someone's a peach, what it, what it means? Do you have any idea? Well, I was, I grew up in the south uh, of the United States, and of course, peaches are a big deal, particularly right. down in Georgia and that area. I, I would suspect, I don't know the, the specific derivation, but they're sweet. And so she's basically saying she's sweet. That would be my thing, but maybe that's right. okay. not right. accurate or not. But yeah, that, she's a that, peach. That is yeah. very close to, to the interpretation. The, the interpretation that I got of it, definition of it is that it is something, someone that is very pleasing or attractive. You know, it's, a, it's a, an informal way of, of giving approval to, to, to somebody. Yeah, have, you, have you ever seen the movie True Romance? Right. Uh, which was okay. So there's yes. there's a point in there where Dennis Hopper, you know, has just met uh, Patricia Arquette, and you know, and as she's leaving, uh, she gives him a kiss. I think I remember correctly, it's a kiss on the lips, and then he goes, "Yeah, she does taste like a peach," because his his son Christian Slater had mentioned, uh, you know, that she's such a peach, and he goes, "Yeah, she tastes like a peach." Oh wow! <laughs> so we'll leave it to you to come up with a comparison between true romance. True Why not? It's a wonderful life. Why not? Congratulations. That's Scott, you, you don't know me well great. enough. I can make connections no, between awesome. so many movies that people would not think to make connections. You know, I guess I, I, that vast awesome. <laughs> um, knowledge of so many movies, you know, th this is the only thing that's, that, that's good for, that I'm good for, you know, talking about movies. So, <laughs> you know, why not? Well, I, we're glad I you am do too. I have, I have fun with it, so why not? <laughs> so I, I also looked up about... Uh, the the idea of of the name peach or peaches or something like that and i found a whole bunch of names of people that that those are their nicknames you know there's a an american tennis player named jane uh bark bark cowitz who she was a tennis player uh, she was born in 1949 and her name was she was she was known as peaches so i was trying to find out like why is she called peaches why is she peaches barkowitz you know, and and I couldn't find any real real answer to that except for the fact that she had a sister or has a sister who was also a tennis player, and her name was Plums Bartowitz. So I guess maybe in that family they just name you know they have nicknames to their kids, uh, you know, using different uh, fruits. I don't know. Well, better that than vegetables. Like you wouldn't that, want to be known as that's probably true. That's Especially probably you, you don't want to you want people to say that you're choking when when you're when you're a sports. Uh, when you're in sports, so yeah, and and then I found yeah. like a whole bunch of baseball players yeah. and football players whose whose names were Peaches. There's Peaches Davis, Peaches Graham, uh, Peaches O'Neill, Peaches Wallace, um, and uh, the the only Peaches that I could think of offhand without even having to look, but then I found it on the list of of a uh, of of a team, a sporting team named from in a movie. Named the peaches. Do you, do you know what movie I might be talking about? Or, or no? Okay. So uh, think of a league oh, of their own. Right. So, so one oh, of the baseball teams yeah, that really for peaches. Right. Which, which is based uh, on a real team. Well, that's a real team. Just a, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also just a little more contemporary. Is uh, there's Princess Peach. She's a, a, a Super Mario character ah, right. in Nintendo. I, I, see, I didn't think about that. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a gamer, but uh, I, not that I necessarily would call Mario Brothers a, a gaming uh, person, but a gaming uh, realm. But but yeah, you're right. That, yeah. that is very true. 
Um, I also found that there was there was a murder victim whose name was was uh, was Peaches, and it was someone who was uh, that was murdered in 1997 in New York, and they they couldn't find the the person's real identity, oh. so they just called them Peaches. I, I don't know why. It's it's very strange. You know, sometimes you, sometimes you look up things and just that is strange. Crazy things. What can I tell you? Well, Ty Cobb, one of the most famous baseball right, players, right. known That's as the Georgia uh, Peach. He's, uh, I, I grew up uh, uh, three blocks away from Ty Cobb's house in uh, the suburbs of Detroit. So I used to drive by there all the time. I mean, he wow. wasn't there then, obviously. That's cool. <laughs> he was long dead in the 80s when I was growing up. But uh, but yeah, I, I remember riding my bike past that house. And there's, this, is, this was Ty Cobb's house, you know, in, in Southfield, Michigan. So, yeah. Uh, so yes, I, I I'm familiar with uh, with the, the Georgia Peach Ty Cobb. I, I I wasn't that much of a fan of of the uh, Tommy Lee Jones movie about him. Yeah, I didn't I didn't I, he just no. they I don't know they needed to to make the character they they made him too mean <laughs> and and in a movie you want to at least like the character a yeah. little bit or appreciate the character and if he's just too much of a a, a bitter curmudgeon. It's a little bit of a problem, but oh well. Right. So back to the conversation between uh, Mary and and uh, George. So then after George says she's a peach, so Mary responds, "Oh, just marriage in general. You're not enthusiastic about, huh?" So it goes back to what I was saying earlier that that where's marriage come from? Like why is she even? I mean, I understand why she's bringing it up, but it doesn't make sense in a normal conversation to jump from. You know, do you like your brother's new wife? And now it's because you don't like marriage. Like, where is that? <laughs> it's just taking it from from uh, you know taking that from left field. Going back to that baseball analogy there. Yeah, I guess uh, again thinking of like a uh, like a screenwriter, you want to present that the theme of marriage because that's what right. plays that's out true. in a few minutes. <laughs> and and her desire is she wants to be thinking about that she wants to be probing about well maybe he's not that interested in right. marriage and that could be a problem and then you know he says that line about well it's okay for people like you know harry right. and marty and sam and you right but the the reason his his mood is getting fouler by the minute and this idea of marriage you know harry and ruth get That's married right. screws him because she's you know right and so now he's stuck Again, in in Bedford Falls, he can because Jerry's going to get a job with Ruth's dad's company, and and so it just raises the the tension and his his negative mood, which of course increases right. the conflict between That's them right. in the scene. And you know, so then he goes, "Well, marriage is all right for Harry, for uh, and Marty, and Sam, and you." You know, I, again, I you know, you can try and read too much into this this statement. Also, like, why is marriage not something that George ever thinks about? Is it because he's still thinking, like, when he was a child that he wants to have a harem, even though back then he had no idea what a harem is? You know, like, like where where is this coming from that George <laughs> it, that marriage is not all right for George? Because because he wants to be free to go all around the well, world, I've, but you I, can uh, you can do that if you find the right partner. If you find someone, yeah. I, I'm sure you just like me know people who you know they they found their 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 the, you know their other half, and it's someone who enjoys doing the same thing that they do that they can travel all over the place or whatever it is. You know, is he just assuming that there's nobody in Bedford Falls that's ever going to want to leave? Yeah, I, uh, I well, 
um, I think this is where 1946 right. probably has to come into play. I mean, the more typical, you know, marriage scenario is the guy and the gal and they settle down and all that. And so that's the way I always took it was that he perceives marriage as a, uh, right. a constriction, a restriction. It's going to keep him bound to the place as opposed to his desire, again, his want right. to leave. So that, okay, would you say this from 1946 or would you say 1932? Because this is taking place in 1932. 32, that's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can exactly. say even more so back then. You know, the the that the, the conventional perspective of right. the husband and the wife. Yeah. And and then you know, as as they're talking, we we hear uh, a voice from above saying, "Mary, Mary, who's down there with you?" So it's it's obviously her mother, Mrs. Hatch. She goes, it's George Bailey, mother. George Bailey. And then the, that that's where this minute ends. I mean, it's it's a nice place for it to actually end because, uh, you know, tomorrow that conversation is going to continue in, in ways that people normally would not expect from a movie at this time. And we'll we'll have to try and we'll, we'll get to explaining that one tomorrow. Is there anything else you want to say about this particular minute? No, it's just it sets up so beautifully for what transpires. It's just, a, again, the sequence starting with Harry and Ruth at the train station to where this sequence ends um, at the very end of the telephone call is just a wonderfully constructed, uh, uh, from a screenwriting standpoint, a wonderfully constructed set of scenes. Okay, great. I, I completely agree with you on that. So every Monday we have a segment called Capra Monday where my guests will give their top five Frank Capra movies. So Scott, being being a, a uh, professor of, of film, I'm assuming you've probably seen more Capra movies than most people, maybe. So it might be, you know, I've, I've had guests that have had trouble, yeah. you know, getting to even five, but I'm, I'm assuming your problem will be the opposite. That you, you'll have problem, problems, uh, you know, whittling oh, yeah. it down, whittling it down to five. So, well, yeah, I did. I, I had to think about it and uh, <laughs> I'd start with arsenic and old arsenic and old lace. Yeah, number five would be Arsenic and Old Lace, which was great. And Cary Grant, uh, uh, you know, Priscilla Lane, Peter Lorre, who was later in Casablanca. Uh, it was uh, written by Julius and Philip Epstein, who, you know, co-wrote Casablanca. So there's a nice tie-in with Peter Lorre, who was in that. But Arsenic and Old Lace is just <laughs> a hoot. It's just a very enjoyable. Uh, then I went to Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, uh, which had Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur, Claude Rains, another character who was in Casablanca. It had Thomas Mitchell, who was Uncle Billy, uh, Billy Bondi, and H.B. Warner, who are also in It's a Wonderful Life. But, you know, that's it's sort of anachronistic when you think about the way politics are nowadays. It's just like, God, uh, could you believe that a naive, you know, senator could manage to prick the conscience of uh, America? But it worked for a film from 1939. Then I went to. Well, come on, it's Frank Capra. Frank Frank Capra's movies are are always trying. Trying to show people, you know, that the, that there the little bit of good in the world can can easily yeah. change the corruption around. So yeah, I'd like to believe it. <laughs> then I went to You Can't Take It With You, which again is Gene, uh, Jimmy Stewart and Gene Arthur. Lionel Barrymore's in it, but a completely different role than what he plays yes. with Mr. <laughs> Potter. He's like this really nice guy. Uh, that whole sort of business thing and the dramatic irony of them not knowing that uh, Jimmy Stewart's family's going to try and you know take over this place I, it's a really wonderful movie uh and i was a really a, t- a tough tough toss-up i mean i did end up with it's a wonderful life as my favorite one but it happened one night is just an incredible film uh one of the f- three films that have won the top five 
Academy Awards, you know, best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and best screenplay. Um, yep. <laughs> but that that movie was uh, I, sh- I used to show that in, in a college class. I used to teach on history of American screenwriting. It's just a fantastic film. Clark Gable, Claudette Colbert. But I mean, those movies are they're all great. You know, he, he, yep. he had a really wonderful career and um, uh, made some fantastic films. Yeah. All right. Great. Thank you very much for that. Uh, so why don't you tell people uh, how they can get in touch with you, Scott? Well, let's see. I have a blog called Go Into the Story. It's the official screenwriting blog of the Blacklist. So I encourage people. It's been there for I've been doing it for 15 plus years. So there's that. And then uh, uh, then I teach at DePaul University. So there's that. I have a book out called The Protagonist's Journey, an introduction to character driven screenwriting and storytelling, which has been the number one the book on Amazon, uh, five-star rated book in film and TV. So I've uh, been doing very well, has over 30 endorsements from professional screenwriters and novelists and academics. So, uh, so the, those are the main things. Wow. Very cool. All right. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review and subscribe to any podcatcher you might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter and you can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. So, Until tomorrow, hot dog. Hot dog. I love you truly, truly, dear. Life with its sorrow, life with its tears.